Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for gathering us together here tonight. Thank you for this beautiful night. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of friendship and friends in Christ. Lord, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us here tonight in a new way. Help us to have open minds and open hearts to what you want to say to us, to what you want to give us here tonight. Because we believe that you have something for each and every one of us here. We've all made an effort to come here tonight. I believe that in some way you called us all here tonight. You knew we would be here, and you knew that you wanted to spend this time with us and to bless us in a special way for making this effort, for taking this time. So Lord, we thank you in advance for all that you want to give us and for all that you're going to give us to here tonight. Mother Mary, we want to crown you the queen of our time together here tonight as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want to read from John's Gospel, the marriage at Cana. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So I think you're all pretty familiar with this story. And there's some obvious things that stand out. There are some less obvious things. What occurred to me not too long ago was the fact that Jesus saved the best for last. Which I think is encouraging for all of us. Because let's face it, we've all been given lots of gifts. If you're here tonight, it's because you are a faithful friend of Jesus and you want to get to know him better. You want to grow in your friendship with Jesus. And 
nobody receives all of the gifts that God gives him perfectly. Nobody uses all of the gifts that God gives him, you know, as best he or she can. So it's kind of encouraging, at least for me, to know that Jesus likes to save the best for last. In other words, you know, he, there's always more. There's always something else that Jesus has up, up, up his sleeve, as we say. Something that he wants to give to you in a, in a very surprising way when you least expected it. And, and some of you have heard me say to have an expectant faith. And I think even tonight we should have an expectant faith. We should expect Jesus to do something that we didn't expect. <laughs> that he, he wants to do something special for each and every one of us here. Because that's just who he is. You know, that first song we listened to, the goodness of God. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. Well, what good, good father doesn't want to bless his children? What good friend doesn't want to do something nice for his friends? And Jesus is the best of friends. So he, he wants to do something good for us here tonight and each and every day. And that, of course, takes faith, and we can just ask the Lord to increase our faith tonight. We can never have too much faith. We can always ask for more faith. And the more faith we have and the, the greater the faith that we approach Jesus with, the more we receive, the more we get to experience him. So let's just keep asking for that. We can't overlook the fact that he performs his first miracle at a wedding. And I wanted to go to Luke's gospel to just compliment this first of his miracles. This is Luke chapter 5, verses 33 and following. And they said to him, The disciples of John the Baptist fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He told them a parable also. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it upon an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. Like, good enough. So, here he makes a specific reference to himself as the bridegroom. Jesus is the divine bridegroom. We, his church, are, are his bride. And for us guys, that's kind of a hard concept to wrap our minds around. It's not very masculine. Perhaps it's not real motivating to be known as a bride. It's, you know, for the women, it's much more romantic, right? To know that God is their bridegroom and lays down his life for them. So for us, you know, we have to make a special effort to, to appreciate this. But what God is trying to show us is, is just how much he loves us, right? That he doesn't love us just like any old friend, but as, as a real passionate spouse. And 
the fact that he performs his first miracle at a wedding really highlights this fact, that that's what he wants to be for us. And not only that, but it, it also goes to show how God wants to have that kind of a relationship with all of humanity. He turns the, the water into wine. That's also foreshadowing the fact that he's going to turn wine into his blood. And that blood will be the blood, as we say, of the new and everlasting covenant. So this is new wine. It's a new covenant. He's pouring new wine into fresh wineskins. That has to be our hearts. So we have to make our hearts new. God wants to make our hearts new through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not that we do good and then get rewarded for it. It's not that we do good things and then we get the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit is given and that allows us to do the good works. That allows us to have the relationship. That allows us to enter into this covenant. God is the one taking the initiative. God is the protagonist here. And I was reading another article today from Monsignor, or, uh, Father Canto La Mesa, the papal preacher, and he's highlighting this fact again. He says for him it was a Copernican revolution, you know, that in fact the, the, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but it's the earth that revolves around the sun, right? So that was a revolution. And, and the same thing with the Holy Spirit, he said, and himself, that he as a Franciscan priest didn't just you know, follow his vows and, and, and do the things that he did so that he could get the Holy Spirit, so that he could be blessed. But on the contrary, what he really learned is that God had done so much for him that God took the initiative to save him, to make him new from within through his baptism, his confirmation, his ordination. And every time he subsequently asked for more of the Holy Spirit, Every time he celebrated Mass or went to confession, God was giving him more. God continued to and continues to transform him from within. And it's God who does that work, that work of sanctification, if you want to call it that. Transformation. To become the love that he created us to be. So again, this, this miracle, this transformation of the water into wine, and then the transubstantiation that we experience at Mass, that I as a priest get to affect at Mass, turning wine into his precious blood, all of that speaks to us of the new creation that God is trying to bring about, the marriage between God and man. And he always wanted it. When he created Adam and Eve, when he created the heavens and the earth, he just wanted all of this to speak to us of his goodness, of his beauty. And thank God we have a beautiful night tonight. And we get to look at some beautiful things. The clouds, the sky, the trees, the birds, the flowers. You know, God just wanted all of that for us. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve squandered that perfect gift. But God, over and over again, has renewed that covenant, that desire to make us one with himself. And again, it's God who's always the one taking the initiative. He's the one that's always calling. He's the one who is acting on our behalf. 
And then, of course, Mary gets in the mix at the wedding, which is pretty cool. And I think she learned her lesson in a sense. You know, my mom was just asking me the other day. Well, in fact, I guess it was this morning. We were praying the rosary together. And I was in Connecticut this morning. So, yes, I, I made it back in time. And, and before I took off, we, we parked uh, in this parking lot. We prayed the rosary before I had to go to the airport. And she was asking me about the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. And she's like, you know, what was Jesus thinking? You know, I mean, he should have known better, you know? Like, his mom and dad were taking off with everybody else. What was he doing hanging out like that and just staying behind? And I said, well, you know, technically he would have been an adult. He would have been a male adult in the Jewish community already at 12 And as he told Mary when she found him, I got to be about my father's business. And they had just gone off, you know, after they had been there for the feast, they just kind of went off with their family and friends as usual. And she was looking for Jesus in that crowd. But when she came back to him and found him, he's like, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be all the time, you know. Like, sometimes God's will is going to be a little mysterious. It's going to be difficult. And as Simeon prophesied, a sword is going to pierce your heart too. I'm sure she... But then they go back to Nazareth and they live a normal life, a quote-unquote normal life. For about the next, what, 20 years roughly? Not quite 20 years. But then comes Cana. And when she's making this request, Jesus is like, okay, do you really know what you're asking now? Like, you're hitting the start button, basically. You know, because once, once I do this, our relationship is going to change. And your role is going to change. And I think that's why he calls her a woman. You know, she's the new Eve And so she's going to be this new woman, the woman that God the Father referenced immediately in Genesis when he said, I will put enmity, speaking to the the devil, the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. You will strike at her heel, she's going to crush your head. So Mary is this woman, and that's why Jesus refers to her as, as woman, because he's now assigning her her new role as mother of the church, as our mother. And so their dynamic is going to change from here on out. So much so that you might recall in his preaching, somebody says to him, hey, you know, your mom and your brothers and sisters, your cousins, you know, your relatives are outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus is like, who are my mother and my brothers, you know? Whoever does the will of my heavenly father That's my mother, my brother, my sister. So even that flashes back to the finding of Jesus in the temple. Did you not know I had to be about my father's business? In other words, I've got a mission. And this mission includes you. And this mission includes all of us as well, no doubt. But in order for this mission to to be fruitful, we need this new wine. We need this Holy Spirit. And Mary is going to be interceding 
for us all along the way. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from her conception. That's why she is the Immaculate Conception. But she also needed more as she took on this new role. Maybe not so much right here at the wedding at Cana, but if you recall it, at Pentecost, Mary was there. And as Ralph Martin just pointed out to us a couple weeks ago when I was at a priest conference, Mary also needed more at Pentecost because she was now becoming mother of the church. So she was saying yes again to this new role, to this new ministry, if you will. And so she also needed to be empowered in a new way to carry out this new mission along with Peter and, and the apostles. So I think we all encounter new times, new seasons in our lives. You know, I know lots of you pretty closely, you know, and I know some of you are, are in a new season of life or you're encountering, you know, a new challenge, a new difficulty or a new opportunity. Whatever the case may be, you know, we always need this new infusion of the Holy Spirit in order to... To, to be all that God wants us to be in those moments and to do all that he has us in, has in, in store for us to do. So we ask God to give us new hearts. You know, those are the, the new wineskins. And that's sometimes a challenging process. It's, it can be even painful at times, right? To, to get, get these new wineskins so that when we receive the new wine, and we're able to receive it, and it's able to bear fruit. And, you know, it's sometimes something we wouldn't ask for, right? No doubt. It's something we wouldn't always ask for. But God knows. God knows what we need. God knows where we're at. So, it's interesting to point out, too, that when he performs this miracle, John notes that his disciples believed in him. So, yeah. You know, even the disciples needed these signs. Okay. Is he done? So, we shouldn't be uh, ashamed of ourselves if we ask for a sign. And let's just pray too that we can be open to the signs that God gives us. I think we should be careful to demand a sign because as I tell people, well, if God gives you exactly what you're asking for, then you have to do exactly what you said you were going to do. And he knows that sometimes, you know, we chicken out, right? <laughs> or we keep asking for more signs and more signs and, and he doesn't want us to follow him that way, you know? Like, he wants us to be free. And if we ask for a sign and then he gives a sign, it somehow restricts our freedom a little bit, if you follow me, you know? And, and he doesn't want us to follow him out of fear. He doesn't want to impose his will on us. Rather, he wants to give us the Spirit and as we get to know him, as we get to, as we grow in this relationship with him, well then he will move us through attraction to follow him more closely. 
and to do the things that he did and to say the things that he said and, and to just be a source of peace and light as he calls us to be. But it'll come from within. People ask me a lot, you know, what is God's will for me? What does God want me to do? Well, I think before God wants you to do anything, he wants you to be his friend. And he wants us to be the sons and daughters that he created us to be. So he wants us to grow in our identity first and foremost. And again, I think that's why he wanted to perform his first miracle, his, his first sign, you know, at a wedding. Because, you know, a wedding is all about what? Relationship, right? It's the bride and the, and, and, and the groom, but it's also their family, their friends. It's a celebration. It's a feast. People are spending time together. There's music. There's dancing. There's celebration. A little bit like what we're doing here tonight, you know. But we're gathered here together as friends, some family members. And God wants us to know that it's, it's first and foremost about relationship. And from that relationship, from that very close relationship, good things will happen. In fact, amazing things will happen. And as he said to his apostles, you will do even greater things than I did. But the, the works will flow from your identity, from your being. There's a great line in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this. Uh, we'll start with verses uh, 4. 2, 4, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul adds there in parentheses, by grace you have been saved. So it's, it's, it's this favor of God. We didn't earn it. It was given to us as a gift. And raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. He says it again. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So like easy. Like it's as easy as just walking around. But when you are walking around in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, when you are walking around as a child of God, the works are just going to flow from that. And yes, God will give you, he'll give us all different gifts. And some are going to be perhaps more visible than others or, or more extraordinary than others, but they're all good, they're all necessary, we need them all. But sometimes people get really worried, you know, well, I can't do this or I can't do that or gosh, I'm, I'm feeling called to this, but I think that's, you know, like when I felt called to be a priest, you know, who am I? You know, but... Who am I? I'm a child of God. You're a 
child of God. And, and yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's sometimes overwhelming. It's unbelievable. But it's true. You know, he wants us to believe that, it's, that he's really that good and that we really are called to this kind of intimacy with God. And that his life would just flow through us and with us and, and in us. That we would walk in that. That it wouldn't be something so extraordinary, in a sense. So I think as we continue to pray tonight, as we are in the presence of God, we can just ask the Holy Spirit to probe our hearts and to open our minds and to fill us and to really convict us in, in, a, in a good way, in a gentle way, but in a, in a strong way too, in a way that does move us, in a way that does motivate us to have more confidence, not in ourselves, but in God, in the goodness of God, in the grace of God at work. And you know, this is messy. This is messy sometimes. You know, life is messy, right? You all know that. Life is messy. I don't have to tell anybody that. Life is messy. You know? And, and God knows that. He's the author of life and he's the savior of the world. He's the redeemer, you know? I mean, the, the cross was pretty messy, right? The crucifixion was pretty messy. So, he doesn't expect us, you know, to always be squeaky clean and perfect and to always know exactly which step we should take and what words we should say. It's not about that. It's really just calling on Him. You know, Lord, I need you. Lord, I really need you to be here with me right now. He created us for this connection with Him, with each other, and with Him. And I think you all know that, that we really only thrive as human beings when we are living out that connection with each other and with him, especially with him. So he wants to have that connection with us. Again, that's why he performed his first miracle at a wedding. Because he was saying something to us. Without saying anything, he was saying a lot. As he often does, right? I like to say that about his birth. As a baby, without saying anything at all, he was saying a lot. He was saying, hey, here I am. I want to be with you. My name is Emmanuel. God with us. I want to be with you. Because I know you really need to be with me. Because I made you. And I know what makes you tick. And I know what makes you happy. And I know what makes you thrive. I, I know what's going to make you ultimately happy forever. And I want to make that happen. I'm here to make that happen. And, and then he stays with us, you know, in this simple, humble form of bread, which we're going to bring out here in just a few minutes. Why does he do that? You know, for communion, we call it holy communion. He wants to have communion with us all the time. And if it's not sacramental, you know, it's spiritual. That's why he gave us the spirit. We're temples of the spirit. Precisely so that we could live in communion with him and with each other. We are one body in Christ. 
through the Spirit. These are just awesome realities that it's just so good to remind ourselves of and to, and to reflect on together and to celebrate together. I know sometimes Sunday Mass can be very distracting, right, for many reasons. But it's important because it's, it's a reminder to all of us of, of what we're called to live and the reality that, that exists, that we are one body in Christ, that we have been united through Him and with Him and in Him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, as the priest says at the end of the Eucharistic prayer. So tonight we get to celebrate this reality together in a small group, a relatively small group. And the Lord is going to be here with us. We're going to light the fire here in just a second. I'll play some songs. Father Tan and I can even hear confessions in the library and in the living room if somebody wants to do that. But just to be here in the presence of the Lord on this beautiful night is a great grace. And, and to share with Him your own needs, your own desires. We all have many prayer intentions. And, and we pray for each other. I just wanted to mention briefly, many of you are already familiar with Regnum Christi. Some of you are members of Regnum Christi. Some of you have heard of it for just the first time recently. Um, so, what you would know is that we have this spiritual family that consists of priests and consecrated women and laymen and women. So could the consecrated women raise their hands, please? <laughs> so we have four of them here tonight. Very blessed to have them in our locality. So if you haven't ever spoken to one or didn't know that you were speaking to one, you know, now you know. <laughs> and there's two more in your community this year. And... Um, so I just wanted to point that out, you know, what is Regnum Christi all about? It's, it's summarized very nicely right here. We reveal Christ's love to people, we form them as apostles, and then we launch them in their God-given mission. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. So if you want to ask me or the consecrated women about that, or who else is in Regnum Christi, raise your hand if you've been involved. So you could ask other people about that as well. It's a spiritual family. We're blessed to have each other. We're blessed to have other friends who aren't officially a member of, a part of it. But if you're interested in learning more, please just let us know. So without any further ado. <laughs> 